Megalopod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is dedicated to... Aquaman, Aquaman does whatever and Aqua can releases songs about Barbie girls and Indiana Jones and other things as well. Look out! Here comes the Aquaman. No? Okay. No. This one is dedicated to the sixth film in the DCEU. Yes, six. We counted them. Man of Steel, Batman vs Superman, Colon Don of Justice, Justice League, Wonder Woman, that one about the Suicide Squad, I forget what it's called, and now this one, James Wan's Aquaman. How exciting. It is. Exciting is a word. It is. There are many, many words to describe Aquaman. <laughs> uh, joining me over the next hour or so to discuss the most movie ever made are two very watery colleagues of such lethal cunning uh, and huge Aqua fans as well. In case you didn't know what I was doing in the intro, that was the band Aqua. If you, you've heard of the band Aqua, right? I, Dr. I, Jones. I, yeah, Dr. I've, I've tried to forget, but I have heard of them, yes. I'm aware of their existence. Come on, Barbie, let's go party. Ha, 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 yeah. Right. Helen O'Hara, our geek queen, is here. <laughs> Hello. Look, there has to be a level that I, you know, beyond which I do not stoop. And Aqua is is under that sea level, if you will. One day we will find a level beyond which I do not stoop. But today, <laughs> no, <we won't. laughs> a level does not exist. Uh, we're also joined uh, by our very own Travis Fickle. Ben Travis, how are you, sir? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I, I'm going to, full disclosure here, I think I have more questions than answers when it comes to Aquaman. <laughs> I have so many questions. And um, I think hopefully this will be a bit of a post-Aquaman therapy session where we just kind of help each other process what we've what we've seen, uh, see what we've learned from that. Yep. But yes, I will be here as the question person going, what was this about? Totally fine. Why? We come not to bury Aquaman, but to... Kind praise? of ironically praise him, yeah, I, I mean, guess. There's definitely, a there's a lot of fun stuff in this. But then there have to be, because there's a lot of stuff in this. Like, yeah. there's so much stuff in this film. It's, you know, if if you met someone who'd never seen a blockbuster movie, you know, they'd spent their entire life in the art house somewhere. And they were like, well, what, what do these blockbusters do? What should I see? And I only have money, by the way, for one ticket. This is the one you send them to. This is This is every blockbuster... All wrapped up in one underwater weirdness. It's it's Lord of the Rings. There's there's elements of Lord of the Rings. There's elements of uh, Star Wars. There's obviously superhero elements. Um, you know, it goes a bit Jurassic Park. It's a, one bit for no obvious reason. Clash of the Titans is in there. You know, you learn about history Black for some reason. History. There's history maybe? lessons in there. Yeah. Yeah, you get to learn there... about Pinocchio, which apparently is a book. I didn't. Oh, Chris. I didn't know that. I thought it was just a film. Oh, God, you're both as bad as Aquaman. Honestly. In fact, you're worse, because you don't look like Jason Momoa. <laughs> that, that's fair. I think I look better than Jason Momoa, actually. Thank you very much indeed. Agree to disagree, Chris. From a distance. <laughs> Agree to disagree, Chris. So. Anyway, mm. uh, so let's get into the uh, the film they call Aquaman. And uh, before we do so, Ben has a lot of questions, and I'm glad you had a lot of questions, Ben, because I also had a lot of questions. Luckily, the director of Aquaman... I'm going to stop saying it like that. Luckily, the director of Aquaman, James Wan, was on hand to answer a bunch of those questions, including one... Well, we'll get to that. Maybe after this. But first, here it is, my interview with James Wan. But before we do that, a quick 
Spoiler special warning. This is a spoiler special. We are going to get into the film. Third Act Revelations, Major Deaths. Not that there really are any. All that sort of stuff in great detail, starting from this interview with James Wan. So if you haven't seen Aquaman, Helen, what do they do? Uh, go away. Go away? Yeah, but but go and see Aquaman. Go and see Aquaman. And then come back. And then come back. And then, listen and then to this. go away again. No, no, no. When they've, when they've seen Aquaman... When you've seen Aquaman... They can stay with us. And then fuck off. No. Then you stay. No, they stay. You stay and you listen to more of the podcast. That's right. Anyway, should we have the interview with uh, James Wan? Yes, Hurrah. please. Here it is, me talking to James Wan. Delighted to be joined in this Aquaman spoiler special podcast by the director of Aquaman, Mr. James Wan. How hey, are you, sir? Hey, I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You excited to be talking spoilers for a film? What have you been able to say to people about this film for the last two years? Uh, Chase you... Momoa's in it and has got some fish. That's pretty, that's pretty <laughs> much it. I, you know, it, it has been hard to uh, to do interviews and stuff like that and, and, and wanting to get into, you know, a little bit more of the nitty and gritty of it all, mm-hmm. but, uh, but not being able to to say too much without spoiling uh, stuff. So this is kind of cool. Well, let's get into it, shall we? Yeah, because let's do it. I always ask the big question on everyone's lips. The squid playing drums. Ah, yes. Topo. What? What? To- to- <laughs> it has a name. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, uh, he is a, uh, a a fan favorite character, believe it or not, from the Silver Age comic book. Oh, okay. And uh, and so, you know, he, he, he wasn't just some random character that I threw in there. Uh you know when uh, when my writers and I were working on this early on, you know we we loved this character so much. You know, like if you go back and look at the, if you actually go, you know, Google this character now, Topo, and you will see, he um, he actually is uh, is a really fun sort of like like a sidekick slash pet <laughs> character for Aquaman. Amazing. Yeah, and, and and he would play all these like kind of really sort of fun musical instruments and uh and and he would do all these kind of like really sort of funny sort of silly things and you know very befitting to uh the silver age comic book that it came from <laughs> um you know he'll be like you know sort of serving uh, aquaman uh with like literally like in one hand he'll be holding like a, a serving tray uh-huh. and in the other tentacle he'll be like holding something else and so um <laughs> you know i just wanted to kind of em- embrace that and uh and just find you know give him a little sort of uh, easter egg ca- cameo Oh my word! Well, I stand corrected, but uh, that's amazing because I just saw him as a squid playing drums, and I thought, oh no, oh, in a weird yeah. way, that summed up the last, certainly the last third of this movie because this <laughs> is bonkers. It's uh, it's definitely not afraid or not shy to kind of embrace its origin. I can I can definitely <laughs> say that. Yeah. In a way, I don't think. I mean, this DCEU even began with a twenty-minute sequence on Krypton and Man of Steel, where right. Russell Crowe was riding a flying dragon. Right. And, but I don't think I've seen anything like where you go in the last thirty minutes of this movie, which uh, is insane. <laughs> uh, well, listen. I mean, uh, I, I I just feel like um, you know coming in into uh, you know a property like this that uh, that you, you you gotta just kind of like you know embrace all the quirkiness that the comic book you know character the comic that, that the comic book was you know for mm-hmm. so long and uh, and and yes you know um, you know you can really make him a very dead serious character um, I just didn't f- that that wasn't the movie that I necessarily wanted to make. Yeah, I want to make like a really fun sort of uh, uh, vibrant sort of world creation movie, and and just kind of embrace that and just really um, lean into it, and not be afraid to uh, to to be afraid to sort of pull all the sort of the, the strange, weird, and wonderful stuff that 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 were in the comic books. 
I mean, it's a it's a film that gave me sights I never thought I would see uh, in a blockbuster. It gave me sights I never thought I wanted to see in a blockbuster. For example, in a conversation between a man riding a giant shark and a giant crab. But now I've seen that, I realize it was all that's missing from my life. And, and everything's good. Well, I mean, that, that's really it. You know, like um, part of my goal with um, sort of um, building this world, I really wanted to make it first and foremost, part of the reason why I... Um, what drew me to this project um, was uh, was the fact that I, I I got the opportunity to kind of um, you know I get the chance to do this sort of um, really sort of um, really out there sort of world creation film and yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that opportunity meant that I could really um, you know um, look into the Seven Kingdoms of yep. uh, of the underwater world mm-hmm. you know uh, majority of the underwater world um, are human looking people mm-hmm. you know and and then you start to sort of like evolve into certain different sort of underwater sort of um, uh, a race of people right and so so you know you have the the race of people that um are, that are the fishermen people that um are mer people yeah. and then uh, then you have the trench creatures that yeah. are that are basically just you know uh, sort of uh, <laughs> what the uh, hell are they <laughs> I, well they kind of like um, this sort of uh, underwater uh basically underwater sea monsters is what yeah. they are and then of course you know you I, I, I you you have the uh the brine kingdom which are going to this just meant that uh, just I just let my imagination loose and I love the idea that I can create create a race of crustacean people yeah I think that's what makes it really fun and and really just just so enjoyable for for myself when I was first designing each of these different worlds is to just let 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 loose. And damn straight. I mean, the, the, there's that visual as Arthur and Mira are diving and pursued by all the different creatures from the Kingdom of the Trench. That uh-huh. is, that's just an amazing shot. That sequence where they're attacked by the creatures mm-hmm. from the Kingdom of the Trench, that feels, there's a moment in Spider-Man 2 where Doc Ock comes to life uh-huh. yes. and it feels like Sam Raimi's going, okay, right, I made some horror films in the day. I'm going to show you kids <laughs> what I can do. And in the midst of all this madness, it felt like this is the James Wan, the horror director who was having a, a laugh. Yeah, I, uh, you know, like uh, I say that, uh, that, you know, the world, like the, the, the sort of the oceanic world is very, uh, you know, it can be very magical and wondrous, right? Um, but at the same time, it can be very scary and dangerous too. And, uh, and I feel like this film really allows me to play with those two very different aesthetic. Um, you know, so we visit kingdoms that are very kind of vibrant, bright and colorful and, uh, and very sort of ethereal. Um, but then, I can go the other way as well, go to the other extreme end of that that spectrum and create a world that is just very kind of dark and scary and uh and, and, and you know, and still sort of be part of the story, be part of the journey that our heroes go through. And I just had a lot of fun doing that. From that sequence, I actually um, derive um, a signature look kind of throughout the film, which is the um, the sort of visual cross section of the ocean. So mm-hmm, you see mm-hmm. um, the top part of the screen, you see what's above the, yes. the, the surface, mm-hmm. and then uh, then 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 the, the the bottom half of the screen is what's below the surface, and uh, and so uh, that that cross section, basically what I we we call it like an ant farm kind of look, um, became somewhat of a signature look that I uh, kind of um, wanted the movie to have throughout the film. And we 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 have that in quite a few places, but I think it it, it looked the best, you know, during the mm. the trench sequence. Oh, it's fantastic at, at just suggesting the scale 
of this thing. Yeah, the scale, well. and, and, and also from a thematic standpoint, that uh, you know, um, our hero is a man who's off the surface world, and the uh, and you know, half surface dweller, a half Atlantean, and then I feel like some a shot like that just thematically shows like you know, you know, what's above and what's below. Let's get into uh, some of the the more plot specific stuff now. I'm fascinated with how movies like this begin and how movies like this end mm-hmm. and you begin this with uh, Atlanta uh, falling in love with with Tom Curry and in a way you end the movie with that as well it ends with that shot of of Arthur uh, right. leaping out the sea right. and, and looking at the camera were you tempted at any point to end to bookend the film with the Atlanta Tom scenes as well, well I mean to me it is bookended that that yeah. was always the intention but you know you gotta finish it with Aquaman himself <laughs> right <laughs> it's the movie isn't called Tom and Atlanta the movie is called Aquaman um, so uh, but 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 you know just in terms of structure that was always the plan is uh, was to kind of bookend the movie you know the movies to me um, the relationship between mom and dad is the emotional backbone mm-hmm. it's for the whole movie, you know, like Arthur feels the way he does his uh, his piss and and uh, with Atlantis because he kind of blames them for you know killing his mother, who he never knew, who he never all. knew, and, and so he has yeah a chip off his shoulder because of that, and and because of that, you know, uh, he's never visited Atlantis and doesn't care about them and doesn't you know give two shits about these uh, these people, right? Uh, even though they are his people as well. Uh, and, and so th- through the course of that, you know, you know, he go through he goes through that sort of classic hero's journey to uh, discover who he is and, and what he's supposed to be, yeah. you know, um, you know, he, and and where he fits in this world, and uh, and and you know, he goes on this hero's hero's journey to become the king that he's supposed to be. And I always felt that um, I didn't, you know, there was one version early on where Atlanta's character actually dies in in the in the story okay and uh and i just didn't feel like that was the right way to do um i i feel like um i wanted that so full emotionally come full circle you know the, the the father going to the end of the dock the end of the pier you know every morning and there's just something so romantic and sentimental about it and uh, and partly because that that i think that's just you know the, the romantic nature that i have to, you know not many people know that, despite the <laughs> the horror films I've made. Uh, I, think, I think Lorraine and Ed have a pretty ram- yeah, well, romantic well, relationship. Yeah, that's true. It's yeah, that's, that's exactly. I, I yeah. think the Conjuring films are actually closer to who I am uh, in, in, in a lot of ways. And so, yes, yeah, so I really want to come sort of full circle in, in that sort of like the love story aspect of that. Yeah. Um, and um, and you know, and I just think um, you know the the movie is kind of very sentimental at heart. It plays to the sort of the romance that we have, you know, of of the nautical world. It just felt like the right thing. To do. So, at what point did the was the decision made to keep Atlanta alive and have her come back? Is that big reveal uh, towards the end of the film? Uh, it was during the uh, sort of um, the story process. Yeah, mm. it, it, it wasn't something that we shoehorned there in <laughs> well, at the very three, end. three weeks before the end. Yeah, of the exactly. Film. <laughs> no, no, no. It was something that we knew we wanted to do at the story at the early story stage, and then uh, yeah, before we started scripting it. Yeah. Okay, interesting because. When she comes back into the action, she obviously has a huge galvanizing effect on on Arthur, but also she has an interesting effect on on King Orm as well. Yes. Uh, The first hint, I would say, that there is a soul there, that there is an internal struggle within him. Within uh, King Orm? Within King Orm, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, like, actually, the first time we really feel that, I think, is in the um, sort of pre Coliseum battle, you know, when he sort of faces off uh, with with Arthur, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and you know, and uh, and you know, and, and he's fully just you know like classic sort of 
kind of comic book villainy, you know, like, uh, Atlantis is going to rise again and, uh, you know, uh, and we're going to like uh, mess up your world. And then, uh, and what I like about that moment is Jason throughout the whole movie is like this hammer, right? Like he just like, he just beats anything <laughs> up. And then when he got to that moment, we, we wanted to do something that was very unexpected. Uh-huh. He went, instead of going hard, he went soft. He went the other mm-hmm. direction and he tried to kind of connect with his brother emotionally. Yes. yes. And I, and I think, and, 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 and Patrick is so great, you know, in, in the way that Patrick does his thing. And you, you kind of see his character gets caught off guard by that. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, and it's played yeah, so well, you know, by, by Patrick Wilson, you know, and just sort of like he sees it. And, and for a moment there, he's, he's, he doesn't quite know what to do with his guard. Is his guard up or is it slightly down? And, uh, and at that very moment, he, he basically he tells me, listen, he says, I don't want to kill you. You know, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one chance here. Go. Go, you know, don't ever come back to Atlantis. I don't want to kill you. I have nothing against you. The throne is mine. Don't try and take it. And uh, and and this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be bringing this to the surface. Well, whether you like it or not, I mean, yeah, yeah, he yeah. says those words. And uh, and I, I, that's a moment between the two of them that I really like. I, I know there's a lot of visual spectacles and action in the film, but it's the quiet moments in this film that that I love the most, and that's one of them. Interesting. So, so there is there is something inside Orm. There, there, there's a there's, he has the potential to love. Which, which is, which is, <laughs> well, I mean, yes, and like you said, uh, when 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 Mum finally shows up, yeah, uh, you know, he's it, it, just a boy with mummy issues. They they're both <laughs> the both of them. They have like big mummy issues. They just need Mum around to hold their hands. I mean, listen. Oh, jokes aside, uh-huh. it actually is. A, a story that does touch a lot about sort of your upbringing, right? You yeah. know, like, um, you know, uh, Aram was brought up by King Ovax, the dad, and it raised to be, you know, like just to be very, you know, somewhat ignorant and just be sort of very nationalistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and then, you know, and then Arthur was raised by the father, you know, like, you know, with love and uh, compassion and all that. And so, um, you see how the two of them works, even you know, even though they're related, that they were raised differently, and uh, but they all have mom, you know, as the common goal, and they both love their mom. <laughs> <laughs> the power of the mother—it's amazing. Um, Arthur, of course, grows up not knowing what uh, Pinocchio is a book, but <laughs> luckily Tom does teach him a lot about history, which is <laughs> which is good. <laughs> Works out nicely in the end. Uh, yes, that's definitely, uh, that's something that we go, you know what? He doesn't know that Pinocchio is a book. He's certain from the film. And I feel like, you know, only Jason Momoa can pull that off. <laughs> I believe he doesn't own a TV set, Jason. <laughs> he, uh, you mean the real Jason? Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, it's pretty incredible. I'm he, not sure if Arthur owns one either, to be honest, but you know, <laughs> what, what would he watch? What, what could possibly... Yeah, that'd be funny if that's the first thing he sets up in, uh, in the throne of Atlantis is uh, he sets up cable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we can get great fiber optic cable down here on that, the seafloor. That's right, yeah. He, he just sort of like, uh, yeah, just sort of like <laughs> disconnect it and repatch it to his, uh, to his bedroom. But the film is very much about Arthur, I think, growing as a person, obviously, and proving himself worthy of of the throne. And you start with a really... Obviously, you start with uh, Atlanta and Tom and the birth of Arthur, but you then move on to effectively the introduction of, I would say, the, the film's secondary villain, yep. Black Manta. And uh-huh. that's really interesting, given Arthur's part in his origin and the choice that Arthur makes. Right. Vis-a-vis his dad. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it, it definitely is um, a really kind of fine needle to thread uh, on this particular film. Um, just because from the get-go uh, that we knew that the story needed to um, 
get to the throne of Atlantis, right? Because yeah. Arthur needs to become the king. Uh, and so we, 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 we going into it, we know that um, our main antagonist of this movie would have to be King Aurum, would have to be because he sits on the throne. And so we knew that that was our, our main story thrust. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think you can do a, uh, an Aquaman story and not have Black Manta in there because I, th- I think the fans would just riot. <laughs> and so, uh, so then the question becomes, like, how do we... At least for me, I'm like I, 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 I don't like the idea of necessarily having two villains, mm-hmm. or, or at least having two villain plot. And so it was very important that uh, that even though both Black Manta and King Aurum have different reasons for going after uh, uh, Arthur, mm-hmm. for, for for disliking Arthur, um, at least um, their end end goal. Is the same. So, like, so, you know, the fact that they come together, that they work together, you know, is a classic one that it's in, um, it's in the, uh, it's in the comic book, it's in the animated, um, show. Uh, and so, uh, so it didn't feel out of place to kind of bring the two of them together. Um, but also always for me, knowing that at the end of the day, this is a King Aurum sort of, um, story and not Black Manta's story. Yes. And so it was important to, uh, you know, to know that he is a side character, but, um, going to it, having his character be set up in a way like like you know like the uh, interrog- uh, I- 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 antagonism with mm. uh, with Arthur is ultimately what creates Black Manta, and I just think like that the the irony there is really interesting that uh, he he is meeting this guy at the start of the film and confronting him and uh, and and being so sort of nonchalant about uh, and, and just not being compassionate enough to uh, to help save. The father character, yeah. like, even even yeah. though he's a they're bad guys, right? Who've you know, killed a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. They they kill a lot mm. of people, but 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 so 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 the whole idea here is Arthur at the start of the movie, he's not quite the hero that he's supposed to be yet, right? Mm. And so he just let that go, and in the process, he ends up creating um, a nemesis for life. You know, uh, and uh, and I think that 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 that's a really interesting thing to also helping Arthur realize that that uh, it's it's Black Manta in in a in a roundabout way helps gives um, Arthur um, his his sort of his his sort of hero's arc his yeah. journey to yeah. become who he needs to be and teaches him actions of consequences as well, well he just can't exactly. be glib and and and, and blasé about stuff either. oh especially you know for someone yeah. who'd become a superhero right, <laughs> yeah, right. precisely uh, it also you also revisit Black Manta you keep him on the board you keep him alive uh, for the post credit sting uh, and it is interesting because I was watching the film and I'm going that's Randall Park as, as Dr. <laughs> Shin and then he uh, doesn't appear again until the very end of the movie so was there more Randall Park initially uh, or is no. this just literally just setting him up yeah R- R- Randall Park was more like you know like a a, a bigger cameo basically um, I- I'm a big Randall Park fan I've yeah, loved great. the guy for, 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 for the longest part I'm such a big fan of um, Fresh Off the Boat and everything else that he's done in, in the film world mm. and uh, and so, uh, so I really wanted to get him in this movie in some way and so you know getting him to play uh Randall Shin uh, who is also another character uh staple in uh, in the uh, sort of in the comic book mm-hmm. um meant that I could sort of kind of you know touch a little bit on his wall and uh, and you know if we're fortunate enough to have future stories I'd love to see more of him for sure Okay, interesting. You know where you're going with this, James. <laughs> I, I, I don't. But, all right, no worries. Like, I'm making shit up as I go along, Chris. Uh, it's the best way to do it, man. <laughs> it's the best way to do it. I want to talk about the relationship between Arthur and Mira, which is uh, this mm-hmm. really 
kind of sparky, kind of Catherine Hepburn, Humphrey Bogart vibe you got going on there. They're they're quite mm-hmm. uh, spiky towards each other throughout. Yeah, I mean, you know, that that definitely was the inspiration for for, for myself and and the writers. Uh, it is very much in that old school kind of way. Yeah, she thinks um, he's an idiot. She thinks he's he is an, an idiot. idiot. He is an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> to be right, she's right. <laughs> he is an idiot and uh, uh, a, a, a very goofy, likable idiot, uh, mind you. But yep. uh, but still, uh, none. Less. Uh, and you know, and she uh, kind of has no choice. Uh, she kind of needs him, and uh, and he needs her as well. And so, the, you know, they they go on this sort of uh, adventure together to try and um, stop King Orum. And you know, um, from the get go, um, the, their relationship in the comic book um, is is a big part of why the um, the fans really love them. Like Mera mm. in the comic book is just as powerful as Arthur, or just as beloved. Mm. And uh, and in a lot of ways, she is physically more powerful than he is. Uh, and uh, and so uh, so you know, we wanted to create a, a Mera character that was um, that was strong. And, and and coming into this, Amber really wanted to create a, a very strong female character that young girls can look up to. And I think um, you know that that was a very important thing for for the both of us to do that. And uh, and to see that um, she is not a damsel in distress, yep. like she doesn't need saving from from uh, from Arthur. If anything, she saves his butt <laughs> again and again throughout the film. But uh, and, and so you know, so so that's part of the dynamic there between the two of them. When he's in her world, he's the fish out of water. When she's in his world, she's the one. She's the fish out of water there. Yeah. So uh, so you know, were you were you tied down away at all by the the brief? scene they had together in Justice League because here she seems to be meeting him for the first time uh, or he's meeting her for the first time they don't seem to know each other that they much. don't well I mean that's the thing uh, I actually ended up being a good thing that they had that brief scene in, in Justice League mm-hmm. right meaning that their relationship you know wasn't fully developed in any way mm-hmm. or it was just a meeting and you know when he in, in this standalone movie when he sees her he mm-hmm. knows who she is and uh, and then you know she says I, I need you to come back with me to Atlanta's like oh no no no, no go away <laughs> and so you know he, 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 he knows why she's here or, or he knows he it's gonna be for something that he doesn't want to be a part of uh-huh. and, uh, and and that's kind of where we picked up Okay. Right, which which yeah. is great because then it gives me kind of more freedom to be able to kind of create the relationship between the two. At the moment when Mira and Arthur kiss, maybe has one of my favorite and rudest visual gags in some time, and this may be this may be <laughs> you can un- explain that <laughs> this may be unintentional, but I don't think anything's unintentional in a movie like this. So as they kiss, <laughs> the camera circles around them, uh-huh. and Arthur raises his trident. <laughs> From a a downward angle to an upward angle. Explain yourself, James Wan. You know, I'm cracking up now because... uh, um, Because I got you. (laughs) They were takes we did different takes obviously uh that didn't necessarily have that uh sort of visual uh <laughs> how would one describe that um um that 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 particular look yeah um but uh but i erection joke james we can i'm trying to be uh i'm trying not to go there <laughs> um but uh but i, I that 
there were different, lots of different takes, and uh, and, and not all of them had that look. But I ended up going with this particular take because uh-huh. um, just overall, it was just the better take. But uh, but I was very aware of the uh, tell it to the judge, pal. <laughs> I was very aware of like the the, the, the sort of the, the euphemism that comes with uh, yes. the action. Yes. Um. You know, I'm hoping uh, that the audience don't read too much into it. Of course not. If if if, if they do, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, <laughs> I just want to say it wasn't necessarily the outright intention um uh-huh. okay the, the 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 intention of that shot was to actually create a very romantic <laughs> visual which is you know the camera rotates around them uh-huh. and uh and you know and we we have skylar gray's really beautiful sort of music playing in the background uh, at least just you know, the the um the the, the the instrumental version of skylar gray's song yes. playing around that and then and then have like you know the explosions in the background sort of time to the beat of the music uh-huh. it's almost like my little sort of uh, musical interlude in the film yeah and uh and so you know they, they, i would just say they were you know better intentions than, uh, than the one you're picking up now <laughs> i'm just a filthy minded fool what can i say but i wouldn't fight you on this regardless <laughs> <laughs> all right fair enough last question james julie andrews dame julie andrews mm-hmm. as the most powerful sea creature on the of planet course. of course makes perfect sense makes per- perfect sense <laughs> um yeah G- g- going into this, the casting of this role, I, I, I knew that I wanted it to be that the creature to be a female, because yeah. <laughs> of course it would be a female would be the most powerful creature on earth, and uh, and for some reason I really wanted it <laughs> to be British. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I really wanted it to be British because I just really wanted this really, you know, like um, you you don't see. All of these creatures, that's how big she is, right? And so you only see, um, like, basically, like, you see her tentacles. So that'd be the equivalent of, like, just seeing her toes, her fingers, right? Um, and, uh, and, um, you know, um, you know, I was definitely, you know, thinking of, um, you know, the likes of the three dames. Dame uh, Helen Mirren, Dame mm-hmm. Judy Dench, and uh, Dame uh, Julie Andrews. And, uh, and so... Um, they, those three were the kind of like my um, my 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 inspiration for 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 what I wanted the character to sound like. Yeah, I love Julie Andrews. What can I say? I've been such a big big fan growing up, you know, with with her stuff, you know, a, a, as a kid, and uh, and so you know, we we just thought let's give it a shot, you know, like um, you know, we we didn't think that she might necessarily do it because um, you know, uh, there's this other movie coming out that uh, she's kind of uh, famous for as well, so. I don't think uh, who knows if she will do our film and um and uh and we reached out to her and apparently uh she's she she told me uh that uh I think her grandson is a big fan of my films and uh and would really would love to see her kind of participate in one of my my projects and I have her grandson to thank for that Amazing. and uh and, and she's just so lovely I had such a great time you know just working with her on this and I can finally say I got the opportunity opportunity to direct Julie Andrews that's extraordinary. James Wan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So that was James Wan there, and now it's time for us to dig deep into mm-hmm. Aquaman. And I think we should start with where I ended with James Wan, which was what I consider to be one of the greatest stealth dick jokes in the history of <laughs> cinema. Uh, so you know what I'm talking about. It's at the end of the movie, Arthur, Arthur Curry, our lovable hero, has kissed Mira for the first time. Right, mm-hmm. uh, Ben. I know you're quite young, but you're going mm-hmm. to have to listen to this. When, okay. man, when an Aquaman loves an Aqua woman, mm-hmm. okay, and his little trident jumps to attention, 
Oh, okay, that's a, that's usually a sign that you know he's ready for the aqua loving. And there's the shot of mm-hmm. Arthur and Mira, and they're having a their their first kiss, right? And they're Arthur's snogging. snogging, and Arthur's trident is pointed downwards. And as the camera swirls around them, I mean, this is a film in which the camera never stops swirling. The camera swirls around. Watch this film again, Ben. Mm-hmm. Watch this film again. Keep your eyes peeled for this. Okay. But at the same time, cover your eyes, Ben, because you're innocent and I don't mm-hmm. want you to lose that innocence. It's important to me. <laughs> you would never do that to me. You would never <laughs> <try> <laughs> destroy <laughs> the innocence. No. The trident changes its angle, Ben. It changes its angle. Yeah, it goes full carry on up the uh, Atlantis uh, towards the end. <laughs> and uh, James Wan, as, as you probably just heard there, people who listened to the interview, you know, he basically confirmed that that was his intent. So that's that's a that's a fairly ballsy move, I would say. Well, even for, um, following on from the beginning of the film, where uh, Papa Curry finds sure. a woman on the Tom, rocks, Tom Curry, Tom how Curry, dare you, how dare you, finds Nicole Kidman sure. on the rocks, takes her back to his lighthouse. Yeah. Sure, she eats his goldfish. <laughs> then she clearly displays that she has very little understanding of the human world and then they bang I mean there's a bit of time that you're kind of leaving out there. <laughs> but so does the film yes. basically it does leave it out but like I mean come on we can, we can be too woke about these things I don't I don't think the implication is meant to be that you know they just get it on and and no, come on she, she, I mean, by the time we meet her again Nicole she's Kidman, speaking but... English it's, it's fine honestly you, you, you went I'm, I'm decreeing yeah. it. It's fine. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's yeah. good. It's, it, uh, watching it again, actually, I noticed that we are, of course, in Amnesty Bay, Maine at that point. That's interesting because I kind of assumed from the heritage of those two male leads that we might be in this sort of Pacific somewhere, uh-huh. um, that we'd be maybe in New Zealand or somewhere on the uh, you know northwest coast of the US. But we are actually in Maine, which makes a lot of the film's other geography make fractionally more sense than it otherwise would which is the good news but only fractionally more because it's still terrible what are your geographical issues with this film so okay so we're in maine that puts atlantis presumably somewhere in the atlantic (laughs) which would make sense from a legendary point of view in terms of the legends not the film company legendary and presumably uh, i'm sure my my ignorance here but it wouldn't be the first time in this podcast uh presumably atlantis derives its name from the atlantic Oh, um, I mean, they're yeah. I get well. I guess connected, but it's all. I think comes from the same. I want to say Greek root, but don't quote me on that for goodness' sake. But it is an ancient European legend, the legend of Atlantis, the island that sank beneath the waves. So it sort of wouldn't entirely make sense as a European legend if it was in the Pacific. But the problem is, the problems come in with like lots of the other stuff. Like I would have thought that the trench would have been the Marianas Trench, which is of course the deepest point we know about on the surface of the Earth, but. Uh, Presumably it's not, because it's in the Atlantic, because they can get there in a boat from Sicily. Um, which obviously upset me, because it should, if it's in the Atlantic, presumably be somewhere down the Mid-Atlantic Ridge or something like that, which is where all the activity is, like, you know, volcanically speaking. These are the same notes I made. Yeah. Same. And, you know, that's a long way from Sicily, is all I'm saying. But I guess their, par, their, their craft is, like, powered by Atlante and magic or something. I don't know. Yeah. The exact same notes I made, mm-hmm. except mine were more along lines of, is Ooh. that a hard-on joke? <laughs> Circled. <laughs> And a little hard. And also, Black Manta is somewhere in the North Sea at one point, and I don't know, I haven't spent a lot of time in the North Sea. I don't think it looks like that at all, but, uh-huh. I mean, sure, uh-huh. I guess. I mean, okay. every time one of those cards came up, I just smiled and nodded and just thought, okay, different ocean bit. It's wet, yeah. but it's a different bit of the 
ocean. This, this is sort of film, you know. This isn't. This isn't a, even remotely trying to be realistic. It, no, it didn't, I know. nothing took me out of the film the way that say Thor fucking up the directions to Greenwich. Oh my god! I mean, that was awful. From Charing Cross, <laughs> I mean, which is just. I mean, that's just the the, the nadir of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't care. One seed looks much like the other, Helen. Uh, you know, I don't want to be seist oh in any God, way here, so shape, shape or form, but uh, I'm just saying that it doesn't really matter to me. It's all fine as long as you get your mm. Aquaman fun and your Aquaman spectacle. But then and we did. Later members in the Indian Ocean. Forget oh, like no reason. How did he get there? But How no, did he get there? What mm. is going on? Um, and also, I have questions about the Atlantean skin. Like, shouldn't they be secreting a lot of oil to keep their skin nice underwater? And shouldn't going into the Sahara be a problem for them? <laughs> I don't know why this really pulled me out of the film, but genuinely, I was like, I was worried about them dehydrating in the Sahara. I felt like if your body is accustomed to having a lot of water around you at all times, that being in the Sahara would be genuinely bad for your health. I mean, that was my top note, uh, just said needs more oil secretion, yeah. underlined with an exclamation mark next to it. Hey, I have never knowingly overthought these things, so... <laughs> my, um, I think my, one of my biggest questions was how did sort of regular-sized Tamira Morrison and sort of regular-sized um, Nicole, Nicole Kidman have such a large aqua boy? Can I just say, Nicole Kidman, if you've met her, is not regular size. She's, she's, she's like quite... six five. She's certainly five eleven if she's a day, mm-hmm. and if she's a day, then she's almost six one. Oh, <laughs> wait, what? I'm using the metric system. So that, that, those so two, she, those she... two, I can see how. Okay, well, that uh, my first question answered. There we go. No, not you know, little parents can mm-hmm. produce huge, great big titans. He's so big. Do you think Anthony Hopkins and Rennie Russo produced Thor? Yes. All right. Fair enough. I also had questions about the behaviour of lava underwater, but I realised that that might be getting into it too much as well. But that ring of fire, it, yes. it, didn't, it didn't entirely convince me in its physics, but perhaps the Atlanteans have some sort of way of controlling lava uh, that they use for popular games. Also, where was health and safety in that arena? I mean, it just seemed very badly conceived. Yeah, absolutely. Most uh, dangerous tournament since the uh, Triwizard Tournament. There's <laughs> just, just no health and safety, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, there you've got dragons flying around. Here you have, you know, Jason Momoa flying at you at full speed. Like, that would be a problem. <laughs> the crowd loved it, though. That shot where the crowd goes, way Always makes me smile. <laughs> How many times have you seen this film? Once. <laughs> Just once. Okay. I've only, I've only seen the film once, I'm afraid. Uh, I tried to get to see it twice, but this lurgy that you may be able to hear in my voice from time to time uh, sadly got in the way of me going to see it a second time. Helen has seen it a second time. I she, have, yes. And, you know, I think we should start up, we should probably get back on track with this film because I really enjoyed Aquaman. Uh, there are elements of it I didn't enjoy. There are elements of it I think didn't entirely work. But I absolutely respect James Wan's dedication to just throwing everything he possibly can mm-hmm. at this movie, at this concept, which we have to say is a silly one. Yeah. And, you know, any any director who comes into this world with this character, you're up against it whether it's Aquaman or whether it's Namor the Submariner, and I know there are rights issues that have maybe stopped Marvel from doing something with that character, or you know, certainly in the past, but there may also be an issue where they've just gone, we're not entirely sure how to make this work. So fair play to James Wan and Warner Brothers and DC for giving it a good old go. It feels to me like they have learned a little bit from from the more successful Marvel films, where every time they, they have to push that concept further and you go, how are they going to do this? And the answer is just to lean into it, lean into the craziness, lean into the comic bookiness. Don't 
try and ground it too much and take away what that actually is. One of the things I really admired about the film, not just that it was kind of so much Aquaman in terms of uh, it just being a huge, huge blockbuster spectacle, but also because it felt a little bit like this might be the only Aquaman film we do, and if... if it is we want it to be the most Aquaman film possible that yes it was for me it was like way too long and the whole Black Manta storyline was cool but it was like a massive addition that didn't really actually change anything else in the plot but I kind of admired that they thought let's just do that storyline anyway we can continue it if we get a sequel but let's not leave it and then have it as a kind of oh well this time we might do this in, in, in case they don't get a second film it's like let's just do it now and give people a full-on Aquaman experience, let's use everything this character has, and then if people respond to it, hopefully we'll get to take it even further mm. next time. I mean, I, I don't know what they've left themselves with, to be honest, but um, but no, I, I think there's, there's an element of that. I think it's also just trying to, you know, raise the bar and, and fight against what's out there. I think Jason Momoa brings an enormous amount to Aquaman. Now, admittedly, I haven't read that many of his comics, but he's always been a bit of a nothing character to me. And and what they've basically done here, it seems to me, is to a, a fairly large degree make him a bit Jason Momoa-y. And that, I, I think, is no bad thing, because then he has a bit of attitude, a bit of character, and a, a, something different to the sort of royal scions we've seen before in these comic book movies. So, so that's kind of good. I mean, you know, in terms of Manta, the problem I have with that is, like, it's, some of the story is so badly written. I think that the scene in the actual torpedo room is, is great. But the scene leading up to that with your grandfather's knife and all this stuff is terrible. Yeah, it's like, really bad. Why wait till that moment to give him the knife? Why wait? And in the, you're in the middle of essentially a heist, guys. You don't have time for this. You shouldn't have time for this. So, yeah, I, I had a bit of a... Bit of an issue with that. I did enjoy in that in that opening sub scene though the the fact that every time Aquaman did anything remotely cool, there was an outrageously mm. over the top guitar riff for it. Oh, this is not a subtle movie. I it's, mean, it's no, a, that's true. It's a movie that fears silence. <laughs> it's just like any time that uh, Arthur, off oh, Curry and Mira have even uh, like the hint of a moment alone, something loud has to come crashing through a window or land on top of them or attack them or something like that. They can't have a moment's peace. It's a film that, that takes the sort of the Smashing Pumpkins quiet, quiet, loud template and applies it to movies mm-hmm. yeah i think we, we spoke on the regular pod just about how i uh, and i know other people in the same screening as me just felt basically exhausted by it by the time it ends because it is so full-on for for pretty much two and a half solid hours and the, you're constantly trying to keep up with it because the tone is changing uh, every kind of 10 to 15 minutes it feels like you're watching a different film in a way that's kind of fun but also baffling yeah. and you just have to surrender yourself to it because it feels like the the aim of of Arthur and Mira's quest keeps changing and where they're having to go to it's quite episodic in that way and each episode within that has a different tone one's a bit like a horror film and one's a bit like Mamma Mia and one's a bit Indiana Jones and and honestly as soon as they got to Italy um, my partner turned to me and said is this is this Mamma Mia now and then and Mira started doing all the sort of dolphin water things from the statue and it was like this is so so unabashedly unashamedly cheesy and campy but then it would go to trying to be there were moments at the end that actually felt very Zack Snydery to me in the final confrontation between Orm and Aquaman where you have Orm in the in the full costume with a sort of flowing cape and in against the dark night sky yeah, that very, was very, very Zack Snyder and it just feels like 
the whole thing is just a bit of everything and I, I think there will be something in this film for pretty much everyone but I think that means that for a lot of people vast chunks of it won't work do you know what I mean? Like there's there's little bits all the way through for everyone because it's it's just doing everything from moment to moment. But I think um, for some of the people who really like the darkness, the the intensity of of the Zack Snyder stuff, a lot of the kind of more, like I said, unashamedly, almost joyously, unabashedly cheesy, campy stuff won't work for them. Whereas other people who like that will really enjoy that, but maybe not enjoy some of the crashy bashy. Yeah, it is bits. mostly the campy stuff, though. I think in this one, if, if if anything for me, it really needed more Momoa, just giving him a chance and her a chance to just hang out and be people. Um, because I think the little tiny scenes that they had that was really fun, but there's just so much yeah. exhausting stuff going on, and it's... and also just some. Can I just uh, highlight some of the dialogue for a minute? We've got lines like, "I'm bringing the wrath of the seven seas with me." Mm-hmm. Seems fine. Uh, yeah, we're. Uh, they were fighting until what was it? Until the gods make known their will by bloodshed. Till the gods make known their will. Uh, you know, stuff like the Atlantis has always had a king, now it needs something more. Uh, today we unite our kingdoms, tomorrow we scorch the surface. Wow. I mean, dude, you've already caused a huge global tsunami. Right. So because yeah, I think the, uh, the 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 film's kind of flitting around from tone to tone is is interesting. So you do mm. get the uh, the the James Wan horror film of the the evil toothy creatures from the kingdom of the trench I think they are Uh, and they you know that's a really effective little sequence just prior to that you have a scene where Mira is playing what looks like the pan pipes (laughs) and it looks like she's playing the pan pipes without a hint of irony I don't think it's pan pipes technically aren't they the row of pipes and she's only playing like a recorder Okay. I either, don't know what it's called, but that, yeah. right? Either way, it's not the sort yeah. of thing that you play seriously mm-hmm. in a film. So yeah. I think, oh, he's in the joke here. He's in the joke. Because he's a very funny he guy. To, he's a funny guy, smart guy, mm-hmm. knows what, you know, he knows his tone, getting nailing it. Yeah. And then there are other things that are so cheesy that sometimes I'm not so sure. I did wonder that as well. I felt like it didn't always give you the impression it was in on its own joke. And, and I wonder, therefore, how, how serious it was. Maybe that's a function of trying to smuggle a film as weird as this into a big studio franchise. You know, maybe that's what you have to do. You have to be able to stand there and go, no, I really believe all of this. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But it, yeah. it is, you're right, It's the tone is kind of all over the place. And the only reason we're not complaining about that more is because there's so much happening that we were kind of entertained anyway. Yeah. And can we just applaud just how weird and how completely and utterly comic booky this film mm. is oh, for a start? You. Because uh, when we started doing spoiler specials like uh, like this back in 2012, back in the back in the days of the Avengers, <laughs> which I mean, the craziest thing now. You look at the Avengers, and I love that film to bits, but. The craziest thing that happens now is some aliens open a wormhole from space and a ship floats. That's it. Mm. Otherwise, it's fairly mundane. Loki goes <laughs> to the opera. You know, someone gets my magazine. It's not exactly high-octane stuff, is it, compared to this? Then in the same month, in the same day, in fact, over here, both films open in the same day. We have Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and we have Aquaman. There's stuff that happens in this film. There's, there are images in Aquaman and Spider-Verse that I never thought I would see in the big screen. Incredible images. He really goes for it towards the last mm-hmm. half hour or so here, James Wan. Really also, goes for also it. Also in terms of images, um, it's it's actually a very painterly film, I think, in a lot of oh, ways. Oh, my God. Um, that like, shot of them going down. Yeah. Yes. By the, well, that's, that's very William Blake, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's mm-hmm. gorgeous. But, uh, but also the, the shot of uh, some of the ruins of Atlantis seems 
really, really Tower of Babel by, is it Burgle the Elder? I don't know how to pronounce it, but him. But th- there's a lot of stuff in here that's, that's genuinely, I think, high art as well as low art um, yeah. and uh, and deserves a mention. But also the pitch, the the shot in the trench also reminded me of Pitch Black very much. You know, you've got the yes. same idea of the mm-hmm. swarming yes. giant crowds of, of things. And, and then that huge battle between the, you know, crab, the people of the brine <laughs> and everybody else is mean- weird. But this film, you know, this film is is crazy. It's crazy. And I applaud that. I applaud mm-hmm. the fact that, and, you know, we may talk about this as being a storytelling deficiency as well, Helen. But it is a sort of film where, as you said, there is a massive tsunami that is triggered in the first act. Yeah. And it's barely mentioned again. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, yeah, that's it. There, you know, we see a news report, so it clearly has happened. You know, we see that people are affected. It is a big deal. But that's it. There's no... There's no urgency to, you know, avenge the dead. There's no worry for the dead. There's no obvious problems in Sicily, even though we're told this is a worldwide event. Everyone's pretty much cool there. Oh, we're told that, are we? I, I missed that. Yeah, they okay. do say worldwide. Um, so they, they go up on the shore in the, of the Sahara. There's nothing there. And also the fact is the idea is that they've thrown all the rubbish out of the sea mm-hmm. at us. Um, but then you go down and almost the next scene, Mira's got her ship parked in a sunken container from a container ship, which is surrounded by other sunken containers from container ships and a whole bunch of other rubbish. So that confused me a little bit on a second mm-hmm. viewing. But, you know, there, it's a huge deal. It should be a big deal. And, and it's never mentioned again. There is huge amounts of damage to the Atlanteans themselves and to the people of the Brine and all that in the, in the final battle. Again, there's no real sense of casualties having been sustained there. And I do, I know I've gone on about this before in many, many spoiler podcasts, but I do feel like the weight of human life should mean something and, you know, fish life or whatever. And and it doesn't always when you get to that level of destructiveness. And, and I find that slightly psychotic. I didn't know whether the, um, the fact that they don't really mention the uh, tsunami stuff much after the... Um after it happens, I didn't know if that was supposed to be a bit of a commentary on the fact that that we are kind of in the real world polluting our oceans and um, global warming is causing all of these catastrophes. And obviously, it's, it's hugely tragic, and the world pays attention when this stuff happens. But we're not really doing anything about it in in a massive way. But, but that's I different from a massive event, though. And I think um, I think part of the confusion around that is. Um, I didn't really get a sense of this, of how much humanity knows that Atlanta exists, because obviously they, they know about Aquaman, they know that he is sort of a, a meta-human, but then there's a guy on the news who's been dismissed as being a crazy man because yeah. he says that he's yeah. an Atlant an Atlantean. And I think there was a bit of a confusion there over when the um, tsunami tidal wave stuff happens, Does how much does humanity know that that is... A force beneath the sea. Well, I think the idea is that they don't. Them. Yeah, yeah, and I think again, you could do so much more with that. You know, John Wyndham's *The Crack and Wakes* basically is an entire book about a war between something that lives in our ocean and us. There is, there are films to be made that are just about that, and I get that this film is about averting that war, but at the same time, this is a if as reported on those news shows, if it was just one little tidal wave in one little area of Maine, then fine, maybe, but. It's genuinely, they say it's a worldwide event. And that means there is no scenario for that which doesn't leave at least tens of millions and probably hundreds of millions dead. I just thought that they just lobbed a big ship at, at, at off a curry, but yeah, clearly it is. A, and obviously it was enough to make the news. Yeah, but, but there's literally pictures, footage of Brazil having it as well. It's, it's, they say worldwide. Okay. And maybe it's only, a, they mean 
you know, Atlantic. Uh, I will say that that does bring one of the film's big unanswered questions, and this is one I didn't get a chance to ask James Wan. I had a mm. really tight for time at the end. I had a choice of two questions. <laughs> uh, not, I didn't go for the erection one. I, I think I'd already asked that. But uh, it was either... Why did you cast Julie Andrews as the most powerful creature <laughs> on the planet? I mean, that makes sense. And where is Superman? Mm. And I went for Julie Andrews. Mm. Yeah. Because I thought that he wouldn't really, he would just give me a kind of total party line. Oh, Superman's away. Kind of, and it's the same question that you ask whenever you, uh, you watch, you know, you watch Thor The Dark World or you watch Iron Man 3. You know, why are we with Tony Stark? Why, why doesn't he give his super friends a call? You know, yeah. why doesn't Thor just call up Tony Stark when he arrives on Earth? My question is, where, yeah. where are the Justice League at this point? I, I am actually OK with that because this is an internal Atlantean matter. Isn't it? Because but isn't it just is it, that hasn't the world just been threatened? As, to, well, as yeah, you say, to as the, like, yeah. To well, the maybe maybe Superman of... is off fixing everything after that. I don't know. Maybe that's why there's no mention of it again because he sorts everything out. Which somehow I don't see how, but fine. But it would make sense to me in the same way that you know a couple of the Marvel movies have hand waved this issue as this is an internal thing. We uh-huh. need to sort this out for ourselves. But to an even greater degree, I think there's more reason for them to say that in this case um, purely on the basis that as the problem is presented to him he needs to get Orm out of the way which means he needs to just beat him in a fight and take control of the throne and then job done yeah everything's fine yeah so and he I don't think initially doubts his ability to do that so he has no reason to particularly worry maybe okay I mean I don't know yeah but um, alright but maybe it's that uh, someone else has pointed out, uh, we, we do have some listener questions, and we will be tackling those in due course, but someone pointed out, and I don't know whether it was a listener, it's just someone I saw on Twitter, someone asked whether it does in fact take place after Justice League, because mm-hmm. in Justice League, Alpha Kari and Mira have a conversation, which he doesn't even really seem to know her name. I mm-hmm. mentioned this to James Wan, his answer was non-committal. Mm. necessarily but I think it is I think it takes place after Justice League because that's the movie that announces him to the world as a as an entity and in this movie he's famous enough that people are wanting to take selfies with him Yeah. Mm-hmm. so it seems to me that be after Justice League then again there could be the idea that this is basically they're just kind of soft rebooting it and not mm-hmm. really mentioning mm-hmm. the fact that Justice League happened although I believe Steppenwolf is mentioned yes he is yeah. yeah okay so what, what's your take on that where, where do you think it is this Pre-Justice League, is this a soft reboot or is it post-Justice League? I think League? it's a post-Justice League, slightly soft reboot, a little bit. Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Helen on that. And I think, um, to be honest, it's kind of, um, I kind of admire Warner and, and DC for that, of just going, look, if, you, if you've seen the other films, you can find the, the notes that this is, to an extent, a continuation. But I think after um, some of the previous films, which I, I'll say I'm, I'm not a huge fan of most of them, that they felt the need to get the, let's get the big stuff right. The little grace notes, we can we can do those later, but let's, in the main, get the big things right, make a really fun, big blockbuster that people want to come and see. And I think they've they pretty much achieved that. It was all over the place as this is. It is entertaining and it is fun. I think they've, they've done that with Aquaman. And I think that'll be something that I'd hope to see in, um, in future DC films is for them to start kind of bringing, yeah, those little grace notes and those those bits of connective tissue now that they've started to sort out the kind of um, main thrust of the storytelling. 
Let's talk about the big guy himself. Let's talk about Jason Momoa as Arthur Curry. Uh, what do we make of him, his hero's journey? He starts out as a bit of a swaggering dude, bro. He leaves Black Manta's dad to die, which is an interesting place to put your hero at the beginning of any story. Uh, obviously gives him something to come back from, something to be redeemed for uh, later on. Or you may, may even argue that he doesn't need to be redeemed because Black Manta's dad was a badin. Mm. What's your take on him? Uh, where, where do you stand on Jason Momoa? Carefully, I imagine, because he's, yeah, he's we, massive. Yeah, although he probably wouldn't feel it. He wouldn't, would he? <laughs> We'd be like, you're know, walking up and down his back. He'd be like, what's happening? Yeah. Um, so I, I, the intro with the uh, basically powerlifting an entire submarine through the water um, was quite cool, although I did sort of think for a minute... He did that for real? Yeah, I, yeah, I believe it. Genuine um, is, uh, it. It made me think of Wonder Woman lifting the tank uh, and the coolness of that yep. uh, very much. Um, but uh, it, that first scene is just a hilariously look at this guy, he's so cool. And I actually, again, I wish there was more physical fighting in the film because he's really good in those scenes. He's really he's really funny, but also the, there's so much kind of swagger to those moments that you don't really get when he's flying around with a with a trident mm. underwater. So, so I, I like that a lot. I, yeah, I, re I really like him. I don't think he's like the comic book character, but I don't care because I think he's more fun. I, I like what you wrote in the review um, that, yeah, this, this version does seem tailored to Jason Momoa and it's mm. like he's just come out of the ocean a bit hungover and plopped straight onto set and they've just rolled with it there. And I did like that because I think the amount of craziness that's going on around him, you need that slight air of like, I don't know, I'm just here because I guess I'm the Aquaman. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's just like, he's totally unfazed by everything. And maybe that's a function of growing up in two cultures. Um, I also, by the way, they brought in a lot of his actual heritage mm -hmm. into this. Um, there's that line from Tamara Morrison about we should go home and work in your um, Tamoko. I apologise, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, but that's the Maori tattooing. Mm -hmm. um, so they're they're still trying to, you know, honour his mm -hmm. heritage in that way which I really really loved and, and I think there's a lot of times where he's saying things almost under his breath they don't sound like English so I think again he's bringing that into the film which I really really enjoyed as well and yeah it, it, he just brings a huge amount to this character who I don't, I don't know who loves Aquaman as a character. They might love him as a concept and as a world and as an interesting thing to explore. But do you know what I mean? Like, character-wise, yeah. what, what do we know about him? What do we think about him as a character? I, I've never thought that much about his inner life. I'm sure there are, are fans sure out I'm, there who, yeah. Are, yeah, who are very much into the, uh, the comic book incarnation of Arthur Curry. There's a person on Twitter. I, sorry, I don't remember your name. But there's a person on Twitter who is desperate uh, for me to address criticism I made apparently on this on the Batman Superman spoiler special of Chase Momoa's casting as Aquaman two years ago I think that criticism at the time was entirely valid what was the nature of the criticism? No <laughs> I'm sure at the time we thought it wasn't the best piece of casting in the world because you had cast this 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 uh, this actor who'd been in Game of Thrones, who'd been Conan, who was largely known for being basically a great big hulking lump of meat mm -hmm. that could deliver lines occasionally and swing axes and punch people. And he was in that Stallone movie, Bullet to the Head. And he was, you know, fine in terms of his physicality. But we weren't sure whether he had the acting chops to pull this off. I, I think he's very good in this movie. I, I have to say, I have, you know, hold my hands up. I think he's 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 got a lot of charisma to burn. He handles the physical stuff very well. Uh, you just have to mention his name, and, and Helen has a dreamy, faraway look in her eyes, and like he shakes he, his hair like that. The way he flicks his hair in that first scene, there's something about it, man. <laughs> yeah. There's something and maybe about the it. lack of a shirt. I don't know, but there's something. Was he not wearing a shirt? I hadn't noticed. <laughs> 
Uh, it would be newsworthy in this movie if he did wear a shirt mm-hmm. at, at any point uh, in the film. His shirts are also good, though. They're all good. Yeah. But the thing about Momoa in this movie is that it's a sort of performance that is filled with charisma and he handles the comic stuff deftly. He looks great in the hero moments. It just makes you want to go to all the people who cast him as heavies in movies mm. previously and go, what were you doing? Mm. Because there's someone here who's capable of much more. Yeah. And I, you know, I hold my hands up about that. I didn't think he was capable of hitting these notes in that performance. I think he's very, very good in this. And uh, so, yeah. Helen was talking about the um, the fight scenes that he has earlier on, the like, kind of proper hand-to-hand combat stuff. And I think he, he's very good in them. But one thing that I really liked here was, was James Wan, action director, because... The the action stuff in uh, Fast and Furious is obviously then kind of big CG spectacle kind of stuff, um, and he does a lot of that here as well. But I really liked the way that he shot those fight scenes, or I thought they were interestingly done. Mm. Um, that they looked distinctive to a lot of other big fight scenes, um, especially the um, yeah the the submarine fight towards the start, where you can tell that I mean it's it's overcranked, but you can tell that he's thought about the angles that he's shooting at. What's a cool way to frame this moment, or mm. to just kind of zing that up a bit rather than be like, we'll plonk the camera here and you have a bit of a fight. And the same with the um, uh, Nicole Kidman fight scene at the start yeah. as well, where the camera kind of zooms out and it's all this kind of big flowing motion stuff. And it, I love that it feels kind of of a piece with that big flowy camera work that he does on things like um, like the Conjuring movies, but bringing that sensibility to action scenes, to really well choreographed fight scenes. I loved that. And I, I, I think I missed a bit of that towards the end of the film when it just becomes big mm. CG spectacle. Because um, uh, that was a side to James Wan that I felt like I hadn't seen before, but also felt kind of of a piece with other things that he'd done. Interesting. I think he's a really good director and he's, yeah. um, he handled action very, very well in Fast and Furious 7. I yeah. thought mm-hmm. that extended bus chase sequence in Azerbaijan yes. is 20 minutes of just glorious mayhem. And all the flying cars. All the flying cars. <laughs> it's, what's, what's not to love about that? Um, yeah, I really applaud his, uh, his commitment to making each action scene almost a wonner mm-hmm. in a weird way. Almost every single action scene in this is, is, a, is, a, is one shot or the impression of one shot um, and uh, I like the way he tries to vary the staging of it I love that action sequence in Sicily with yes. Black Manta mm. and uh, chasing after Arthur and Mira and you know going through the build, different buildings and yeah, yeah I think it's all it's all pretty solid stuff Scusi, senor <laughs> yeah precisely um, yeah no I, I agree I think he's a fantastic action director I noticed there's a copy of the Dulwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft on the mm-hmm. uh, on the table in the lighthouse at the beginning. Um, I don't know if that's a clue to something he's planning in the future or uh, a oh, tribute yeah. to a fave, but yes. there you go. Another there. thing I meant to ask him. Damn mm. it. I have, have to get him back in now. Um, I, I, I kind of wish he'd just given us a couple more quiet scenes just to kind of breathe a little bit yeah, I, I and a little that. bit less politicking I could have done with. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you've got Orm rounding up all the different nations. I mean, the fish people, they look like the Narn from Babylon 5, if you remember Ambassador Jakar, just me. Babylon 5 is a big pile of shit. Don't Get you dare. Out. It was a space room. reference. I know it was I a space reference. No... We all know it was a space reference, but we've heard that reference and it was wrong. Bad <laughs> no other reference for Babylon 5, not even Can't Babylon 5 itself. didn't respond with your own space reference. I'm just not going to do it. Get out. <laughs> I, can't, I can't justify it. I can't dignify it. I think it is interesting that, um, yeah, a lot of the um, sort of undersea Willem Dafoe, Orm mm. stuff was very... Phantom Menace for me and I think it's really interesting starting to see that slightly prequels the aesthetic starting to, to creep 
back into um, big blockbustery things. There, there was just some of the way that things, uh, some of the underwater stuff was done was quite. Um, that I don't remember the name of the Gungan underwater stuff. From uh, the Phantom Otto Gunga. You don't reckon? You don't remember the name of the the Gungan capital? No, <laughs> I don't. Boss Naz. Oh my god. Um, but some of that Disgrace. visual style is now coming back in as a sort of aesthetic choice, which yep. I don't really have an opinion on. I just find it interesting. Mm. Um, but I, I, I did find it a bit weird that the film kind of goes between being so all out and crazy and then also spending a lot of time doing undersea politics of who has yeah. different bits of the ocean. And and also that so that thing early on, um, I, I mentioned this in passing, but I didn't want to spoil it in the review section. Uh. So the submarine that uh. he defends against the pirates... Yes is being stolen on the orders of Orm, yes. Patrick Wilson's Orm, to use in a false flag attack on, on Dolph Lundgren. Right? Um, <laughs> playing himself. Playing himself. I forget his name. I apologise. I, I do have a written King Dolph. Somewhere. Dolphin Lundgren. <laughs> King Narius. King Narius. Narius the king. Narius the king. Okay. So he uses that in a false flag attack, which is, he's obviously then basically rescued it from the ocean bed, restored it to enough working state to use, and then used it to fire upon the Atlantean leaders. And then that allows him to be a big hero and save the day, and then yes. it's basically never mentioned again. There, but, there are many things this movie never mentioned again. I just, like, shouldn't that be a thing? Hey, by the way, this, the humans didn't do that. It was yeah. somebody else, you know. But I guess that might get in the way of the whole, not quite redemption, but at least hope for Orm at the end. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, he's got his mum back now, he's going to be doing some serious bonding. <laughs> um Momoa says, you know, when you're ready, let's talk. Like, uh, there's a bit of a future potentially for him. But, I mean, yeah. the guy literally called Willem Dafoe his grand vizier. Surely there's no coming back from that. Like, surely he's just bad. You would think so. Let's talk about Orm, and let's talk about the fact that there are obvious parallels with Thor and Loki in yeah. this relationship. And I feel that this movie is very aware of that. I think James Wan is very aware of that. And they're tying themselves in knots. Trying so not to. Trying not mm. to be Thor and Loki. Sadly, I mean, I don't think Orm is, is Loki because I, I really like Patrick Wilson, but he he just does not... That character does not have the charisma or the, the instant kind of draw that you have to, to Loki. Uh, and I think that's inherent in Loki's character because he's God of Mischief. There ha- it has to be something about that character that kind of hooks you in. But I didn't find... I really wanted Orm to be just cranked up more. I don't know, just because of the rest of the film is, I think he feels a, like a bit of a blank space in there. Well, it's a very, it's a very clear choice they've made in order to make him the complete and utter um, contrast to Jason Momoa, who mm-hmm. is this you know living god hewn from <laughs> ancient rock with his flowing hair like he stepped out of all the heavy metal videos <laughs> of the 1980s. And Orm is very buttoned down and swept his hair is swept back and there's not a, a eyebrow out of place and but I didn't feel any of his internal pain in the way that you did with Loki in the first mm. Thor movie I mean mm-hmm. uh, you know the thing I'm thinking about is that incredible scene where he confronts Odin and yells tell me and he wants to know about his own heritage and there's nothing like that with Orm and he is a bit of a blank slate I think Patrick Wilson's a phenomenal actor and obviously his work with He's worked with James Wan in the past, yeah. and you know, and the, to great to great effect in the in the country movies. Uh, and here, he tries really gamely with a, with a nothing role, but mm-hmm. it, basically, he's just left to strut around in front of a, in, in a green screen. I mean, I, I think that's part of it that he's dealt the worst of that. I, I I didn't like the kind of. I never settled into the sort of people 
kind of they're kind of half swimming but they're also half kind of floating around and the camera's kind of floating around them while they're just in kind of dialogue scenes i never settled into that stuff i always found it distracting and i think he had some of the worst of that to do because of of his plot where he's just going around different bits of the of the ocean kind of trying to pull people together and i I just found there was a constant sense of distraction around him and the fact that that character didn't stand out anyway lots of those scenes have just kind of washed away from Mm. from my mind that's interesting i actually admired the fact that james wan because everyone in in justice league was going are they really going to have to do this every time someone has to talk underwater they're going to have to create a bubble around themselves and I remember at the time he was going, don't worry, guys, I've got my incredible, <laughs> I've got an incredible solution for Aquaman. It's going to blow you away. And his yeah. incredible solution was to ignore it completely. Completely. And just, just not really Yeah. I mean, he's mind got sort of weird underwater. thought beams going out when Jason Momoa talks to something non-human or non-human-esque. Yeah. yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah, just ignore it. But, yeah, I actually he, wish they'd ignored it even slightly more because there was still a little bit of a sort of like gargle in the voices as if it was kind of travelling through water and I was like but even that hint I was just sack it off sack it off we, we, we get it that they can just talk under there but I, I don't know I found I found that constantly distracting I, for me they didn't quite crack that once you get into the movie and it's a little bit like we talked about in the Spider-Man into mm. the Spider-Verse spoiler special in a way that that movie kind of retrains you how to, re, how to watch that movie and how to watch that particular brand of animation. And so 15 minutes in, you're like, I'm not sure about this. My eyes hurt. If I forgot my 3D glasses, what, what's going on? And then it clicks and you go, oh, I get it now. And I think once you get past, and it's a little longer here, I think once you get past the first 30, 40 minutes or so of mm-hmm. people being underwater but not really underwater and you're very aware that it's all CG and you're very aware that it's just Patrick Wilson against a big green backdrop, once that clicks for you I think some of the images that are thrown together here and the evocation of an underwater world Mm. is the most successful version of that world building for me since Cameron with Avatar and I think that this movie is going to be listen to this we're out after the movie is out (laughs) so you know if I'm wrong Okay, hold my hands up. But I think this is going to be huge for much the same reason. I think people are going to go, are going to want to go back. They're going to want to experience that world again because it feels so markedly different from the shit sandwich we're dealt with <laughs> on a daily basis. One of my favourite sequences was um, after Orm and uh, Aquaman Orm. have had their their fight at the beginning that goes mm-hmm. wrong, and then when uh, Aquaman and Mira are in the ship escaping, because that feels like the first time you get to really drink in that world, and it's so vibrant, and it's all the aquamarines and the and the purples, and I was like, this is so lush and amazing yeah. looking. But um, again, you know, the, you've got the pursuing ships shooting at them in a very crowded and built-up urban <laughs> environment. I mean, they're basically living in kind of Tron. And again, the score at that point very unsettling goes, goes full-on Tron. <laughs> I also question the wisdom of building your undersea city right next to a lava field as well as the lava you've got in the arena. But fine, that's an, another problem and I'm not supposed to worry about physics, Helen. But uh, but yeah, I mean, seriously, the, again, the, the massive, massive body count within Atlantis itself would surely uh. be a problem. I also have questions about which animals they teach to play the drums, which ones they domesticate to use as large buses, and which ones they eat, if any. So so by going by uh, what Nicole Kibben does in the opening minutes, they, they eat fish, yeah. but then they also Domesticate ride fish, big fish. That's, that feels mean. But then I guess we eat. 
small creatures, but then That's also true. befriend larger creatures. So mm-hmm. this is very true. Oh, I guess complex. it makes sense. I guess it makes sense. I'm just interested, but we don't play any. We don't really teach any creatures to play the drums. We taught Phil Collins, <laughs> and then that advert. There was a gorilla. There was a gorilla. You're yeah. right. You're so right. So, so he's like the drum playing gorilla. The drum playing gorilla. <laughs> okay. Uh, shall we just point out that this is the second film this year to feature a large animal playing drums, which also stars Randall Park? Can we just point that yes. out? Yes. Yes, and if the ant from oh, yeah. Ant Man and the Wasp and the squid from this movie got together and <gasps> formed a supergroup, the dream. It is the dream, isn't it? Mm. It is. It's truly the Marvel DC crossover everyone wants to see. <laughs> if they were going to do one, it should be a music film about rivaling underwater and above water drummers, each trying to make it in a world that wasn't cut out for them. Absolutely. What do you call that group? The Traveling Mandibularies. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's see, they'd have 14 limbs between them. Is there something we can do with that? That's almost as many uh, limbs as a polyphonic spree, so they're, <laughs> they're doing pretty well, the it, super group. It would be like a prog group, wouldn't it? Between, it would between the ant <laughs> and that I mean, underwater Polyphonic octopus. squid. Yes. yes. <laughs> Not many groups have two drummers. No. <laughs> two drummers and nothing else. <laughs> it's just rhythmic. I know, you could have Mira insanity. on pipe. Oh, oh, there we yes. go. And Arthur on the guitar that plays whenever he appears. Yeah, yeah he doesn't actually play the guitar, he just flips his hair and then guitar sounds happen. <laughs> I believe that. While we're on the subject of music, please can we talk about Pitbull? About the moment... We have to. We, we, we have to because I burst out laughing. You have like... I don't know, like 45 minutes, maybe even an hour, where it's it's kind of... There are fun, cheeky moments and stuff, but it's like, it's underwater fantasy, it's quite Thory, it's quite, oh, he's fighting his brother for the throne. Mm. Then they're like, we need to go to Africa. Yeah. Then suddenly you're just in a plane and there's a weird version of Toto's Africa playing and then it turns out a couple of days after the screening that that is Pitbull and oh boy. that was the first real moment of huge tonal like, whoa, we're in a different film now. And it is kind that was of... every scene from it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, because that that scene, like the little airfield and getting on the plane, mm-hmm. felt very sort of the mummy slash indie. Mm-hmm. And then when they go down into the you know p- p- kingdom of the deserters, which is a funny joke, deserters and they're in the desert uh, anyway. Um, is uh, they they have it, it goes a bit more again quite indie, but also a little bit uncharted or something like that, a mm-hmm. bit Tomb Raider yeah. kind of puzzle to be solved. Um, yep. I mean, there's so many freaking films in this one film. Yeah, it's ma- it's magic. I'm also really confused about the Kingdom of the Deserters was there before the Sahara was a desert. Okay, so that's quite a long time. I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying. Um, but they Five seem years. to be able to understand the languages totally fine. Hmm. I mean, there's a whale skeleton like just sitting in the Kingdom of the Deserters, which suggests it was fully underwater. But you are applying logic. I know. Yeah, I, I was still distracted by Africa yes. at that point. Oh my god, she should have been playing that on the flute, on the boat. That would have been, would have been amazing. amazing. Need to go back in. Yeah. Need to go back in. I mean, can we talk about Atlantis? Because it seems like it might be awful. <laughs> I thought like, we had, but yeah, okay. No, well, not like the not like the Tron city and the fact that they have no health and safety, but you know, um, Nicole Kidman tells us there's no tears in Atlantis, you know, no crying in baseball or Atlantis. We have uh, Atlantis has a long memory. It'll never let me go. So it's kind of this vengeful place. Highborns never venture to the sea floor. So you've got a stratified kind of 
you know, uh, aristocratic class. It's always had a king, so it's clearly patriarchal uh-huh. um, and sexist. Uh, but people keep talking about Nicole Kidman's character, uh, Atlanta, sorry, uh, defiling herself, having a, com- uh, in quotes, half-breed son. They call him a bastard. They call him a half-breed a bunch of times, actually. Even at the very end, uh, one of the uh, soldiers comes up to um, Dolph Lundgren and says, it's true, the half-breed wields King Atlan's trident. He commands the sea. You know, there's they're clearly racist. Basically, mm-hmm. they're um, they're kind of the, you know, again, like in the to put it in Harry Potter terms, so millennials will understand. You know, I'm they're listening. they're looking for p- pure bloods here. Oh, you know, read another book. And, and also, there is a there is a, a appears books, to be <laughs> there appears to be a physical difference between the aristocracy and the people, in that the the aristocracy yeah. can breathe in air and the people cannot, and that's creepy as fuck. So yeah, I, I have I have issues with Atlantis. Mm-hmm. But do you think that uh, James Wan... Capital punishment, too. ...is making an effort statement here about racism and about how it has infiltrated I th- that sort of society in, yeah, in, I th- I in think real he's, world? I think he's making a, a conscious um, decision to have... Well, I mean, it was he was cast, obviously, by Snyder, but I think this is partly down to Snyder as well. But I think, you know, having a mixed-race lead is a really important thing. Talking about that as a, as a plot point is really important to provide, you know, a, a role model... For, for lots of children out there who may not have seen anyone who looks like them on screen before, certainly in a leading role. But the, the, the sheer fact of it being hammered again and again and again, you know, Atlantis... I'm not saying that the film feels this way because I don't believe for a moment that it does, but Atlantis as a place, as portrayed in this film, is a total sinkhole of really bad values. Um, and it's interesting that that's not really addressed by Momoa or anyone else. I feel like I, I agree that it's not really addressed, but I um, the feeling that I got a bit was that the film does think the same as you, but yeah. in that um, that's partly why why Nicole Kidman leaves, and that when she's when she goes back, she's kind of forced into this horrible punishment for for um, having a son yeah. Yeah. Uh, above the water, and that I, I hope I quite like in that sense of. Um, other superhero films we've seen where you've got a, a, a character who then ascends to the throne and that part of that journey for them is them saying, actually, no, we're going to do things a different way. That's something I'd kind of hope to see in a, in a sequel, maybe. That mm. uh, would be Arthur kind of trying to reform Atlantis in some way that he's yeah. a new kind of ruler. And I, I agree. Yeah. I think I think that's got to be something that is addressed if there's another one of these. Mm-hmm. And, and I agree with Chris that it's going to be big at the box office and then probably will be. But don't you need just a line? It didn't give itself any time. Well, I mean, there was time. There was time in the runtime. But he, yeah, he, didn't he give complains about space. you know obviously his mother having been executed. Mm. He obviously is outraged by that. But there's no real pushback on any of the rest of this. And I just, I just would like just literally one line would have been fine with mm-hmm. me. But I, I think it would have maybe helped. Speaking of the execution, can we talk about Jurassic Park at the centre of the world? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Like what? The, that I mean, was another like. What the? What the hell is going on in this film? I'm like, I'm with it, but it's, it's a classic Jules Verne idea that yeah. Yeah, the, at the center of the earth there are still dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. That I mean, that yeah, obviously that's fine. That that's <laughs> canon. We accept that. But uh, the portal to get there. What's the, what the heck's that meant to be? Oof. I don't know. I mean, and like if if the um, uh, Carathon has to get them out, then did she make a hold in the? dinosaur world to do it are there are the dinosaurs okay mm. like the- i don't think the dinosaurs are okay because nicole kidman is wearing them all i like that oh, this is a super <laughs> comic book film this year where a um a pretty badass uh, maternal character just fends for herself in a brutal place for 20 odd years um and until their offspring finds them 
It's lovely. That and, and Ant-Man and the Wasp. It was very Michelle Pfeiffer in uh, oh, Ant-Man yeah. and the Wasp. Yeah, I've forgotten. Where they forged themselves a cool outfit made from <laughs> things that they found in the, in, the, in the bad place. I love that she then stopped off in the middle of the war mm-hmm. to get a dress. Yes. <laughs> Priorities, you know? Mm. Ladies be shopping, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Who was surprised to see Nicole Kidman turn up? Raise your hands. <laughs> As in, turn up after we were told many, many times that she had been killed. She's definitely dead. Wink, wink, totally, wink, wink. Totally, totally dead. Super dead. Couldn't be Super deader. Super dead. No one is raising their hand. Mm. I'm actively pointing both of my hands at the floor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do we make of Nicole Kidman? I have to say, she gives it her all, doesn't she? Yeah, she's a badass. She's ace. And I love that she can do um, she can do this and she can do big little lies and the, mm. the range and the playfulness of, of the roles that she's taking. And Destroyer, again, like yeah. something totally different. But I love that she seemed really game for this and like she gets really cool fight scenes. I thought, actually, considering the film doesn't have a lot of character, you actually felt quite a bit from her in a fairly limited amount of screen time. Yeah, she was wicked. Mm. I was wondering as well at the end, so she turns up at dawn, mm. you know, because that's when he goes oh, on. Oh, I love that it ended. Yeah, it was there. lovely. But at the same time, like, did she time her departure from Atlantis so she'd get there at dawn? Was she like <laughs> waiting around in the sea? This just will be more atmospheric. <laughs> waiting for dawn. I, I don't know. I was, I was kind of wondering about the logistics. Yeah. Yes, I hate fun, and I'm quite <laughs> asking too many questions about this film. But I, you know, these are genuine questions that occurred to me at least on a second viewing. And yeah. uh, because you, you don't really have time first time around no. to think about anything other than what the fuck have I just seen? All you can do the first time is just hold on. I mean, <laughs> but literally, I was sitting next to Ian Freer of this parish, and uh, and literally, occasionally, both of us would just be sort of going, "What the." Yeah, so maybe she was waiting for for sunset because uh, Tamira Morrison only comes out at sunset. Sunrise. Oh, was it summer? Okay, and it would be really awkward <laughs> if she went there and sunset. he wasn't he wasn't outside, and she was just waiting at the dock, and she's like, "Should I go to the lighthouse? Is he coming to the dock?" So she just kind of timed it. She probably she spent a day yeah. watching him, working out his routine, just seeing if he still wow. does Creepy. the same thing, creeping on him, and then worked out a plan from there. Wow, she's capable. She's very capable. I mean, there's no question about that. Although, again, like how. How uh, technologically advanced are Atlanteans supposed to be if she's so spooked by a TV that she spears it with a trident? Don't they have TV? Why don't they have TV? They have all these shiny lights in their city. She should go go to... um Hey. I knew that was where you were going. I'm like, no, TV. you wouldn't, surely. For some reason, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> and I should have done. Do you think? You should have. There we go. All right, should we have some questions? Sure. Yes. Not too many, because I think we've covered pretty much everything. But uh, here's a question from Adam Higgins, who has the catchy Twitter name of Adam Hig 8036 I actually prefer Adam Hig 8036 Sorry, oh, Adam. harsh. Yeah, harsh, but there you go. Fair, I would say. Uh, he asks, is the fact Aquaman on the poster has his magic trident a massive spoiler? Yeah, it yeah, is, actually. It, it, Once you see that that's the trident and the suit, then, yeah, it is a spoiler. I mean, having said that, you know, in superhero logic, do we really expect that a magical and powerful item destined for the true king mentioned in Act 1 will not turn mm. up in our hero's hands by Act 3? Probably we don't. But at the same time, yeah, it's a huge spoiler. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the, the, I mean, the marketing for this has been like, 
so full on and it's working because a bunch of people are already going to go are already seeing the film especially in China it's it's huge but it feels like something that um, for a, a film that a studio was maybe a little bit more confident about in the run up would have been held back that that moment that reveal because it was in there was like a whole five minute trailer for this with extended scenes and it shows the suit at the end they really gave quite a lot away yeah. That, but that has obviously hooked people in um, but it's something that I think ordinarily might not have been shown in advance mm. but it felt like all hands to the wheel here to try and show how different this was for a DC film to kind of show people that it, it was going to go to that very comic booky place of, of showing him in at least a version of that classic kind of orange outfit um, but yeah it was a bit spoilery it would have been it's, it's a cool moment I have no idea where the suit comes from because he just gets the trident and I, I presume the trident then sort well, of so the body of dissolves as soon as he gets the trident mm-hmm. and so the suit is just sitting there you know being washed right. by the water okay. I guess. although I have questions about how you can sniff his armpits underwater anyway so maybe water doesn't <laughs> clean you that well yeah but um, and he it then fits. Magically it fits, fits magic but it's probably a magic suit right magic to go with magic yeah. trident it would seem to um, be I mean, maybe yep. Graham McTavish is the same size as Jason Momoa. I haven't seen them in the same place at the same time. I couldn't possibly see I would say it's highly unlikely. <laughs> maybe it's Lycra. Anyway, puts on the suit. Um, either, And I was wondering that as well. Is there a stripping scene in front of Julie Andrews? Because that would seem wrong. Or um, well, does it sort of magically just, you know, adhere to his skin? Don't know. A spoonful of give me some sugar helps the medicine go down, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh, um, yeah, it's a spoiler, but ultimately, Disney wouldn't really care. We know he's going to get the Trident. Mm-hmm. We know he's going to get the costume. We know so. he's going to get the girl. We know he's going to get the girl. What's the point? What's the oh. point of any of it? Just call the whole thing off. Just finish after half an hour. Uh, here's a quick question from Dino A. Paolo, who asks, uh, do you think DC should concentrate on solo films or start setting up a Justice League sequel? Well, what they've said seems to be that they're kind of just focusing on getting in each individual film right in whatever way that film demands. If that is the case, then that seems to be paying maybe better results for them than trying to tie them together did. So if Wonder Woman and Aquaman are evidence of that policy, um, and I think Shazam, from what we've seen, would appear to be evidence of something going off in its own direction as well, that would seem to me to maybe be a better idea. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm totally OK with them just focusing on what works. And then if in a few years we're really, really keen to see these characters that we now love team up, then brilliant, let's do that. But I think, you know, there was always the danger, and I think Warners knew this themselves, I think they must have known, that there was always the danger of slightly putting the cart before the horse, mm. you know, Avengers was a whisper in the wind for those first few films. It wasn't a con- confirmed thing at all. Um, they kind of built quite slowly, relatively speaking, to that, compared certainly to Justice League. So I feel like there's, you know, there's a way maybe to get mm-hmm. back to that that isn't direct. I think as well, part of the joy with the Avengers was um, that you'd established all of these separate tones and it wasn't just the heroes coming together, it was the tones and the flavours that each of those individual films and characters brought together and I think the fact that the Aquaman is so distinct from anything else in the DCEU it looks like Shazam is going to be really distinct and has a very clear vision of, of who that hero is and the sort of film and tone that they need. Wonder Woman was really kind of confident in what it was doing and it looks as well with plugging that into the 80s setting for the sequel is going to bring a a new flavour but still keep what we liked about that that once you've established who all these characters are separately that then you get the payoff of them being together rather than it just being here's a load of people that you recognise yeah time for another question then we'll wrap this thing up Mm -hmm. 
at Connor Hegarty asks, with everything possible that could have happened, having happened in Aquaman, <laughs> where the hell does the character go from here? Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, we, we, what films are left for it to draw upon? The Ten Commandments? I mean, we haven't done anything. Ooh, biblical epic. Biblical Aquaman. epic. Mm-hmm. I can see it. I can, I can dig that. that. He's got the hair for it already. Mm-hmm. Um, although, arguably, he's already done that getting King Atlan's trident, I suppose. Damn, that might have been out as well. Okay, okay, we can do this. Heist thriller. I mean, there was already a slightly heisty, questy element to this, so that's okay, kind of okay. been done. Hang on. Rom- um, no, not rom-com. What um, about... Indie movie set in Minnesota. Oh, like Mumblecore Aquaman. Mumblecore Finally Aquaman. give him and, and Mira the, the time that they need to talk things out slowly in a quiet voice for exactly. an hour and a half. Shot possibly in black and white, but although you do want the bright blue colours No, you want the colours, you okay. want the colours. You say Mumblecore, don't you mean Albacore? <laughs> hey, because it's a fish. Ben doesn't like fish puns. When he uh-huh. hears a fish pun, he says, I've had a cup to hear with that fish pun. Stop carping on, Chris Hewitt. There's a time and a place for everything, Ben. Oh. Let me just uh, bike this line of conversation right there. I don't know, Helen. I'll have to mull it over. Oh, God. Oh, you're a cod. Card, Chris. <laughs> what did you just say to me? <laughs> Unbelievable. You think you know someone for all these years. What was the question again? Off. What? <laughs> I've got no fish puns. None. Oh, I feel the hake flowing through you, Helen. Oh, there you go. There we go. Right. Also, off the scale. Oh, come on, Ben. Shut up, Ben. <laughs> Alex Elms asks, Chairman Hansu plays the Fisherman King. Mm-hmm. So are we now in an age of people being both in the MCU and the DCEU? Yeah. They then go on to say, it seems that for Marvel, he is Willem Dafoe. But for DC... He is Willem de Friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, German Hunsu is also, I think, in Shazam. He is. He's the wizard he's the, in yeah, Shazam. He's the sh- so he's two different characters in the DCU. He's two different characters in the DCU, which I, I guess they thought he could get away with given his lack of his handsome face in this one. Um, but yeah, he's yeah. the one who looks like Jakar um, very much to me. And honestly, look up a picture of Jakar and you're going to agree with me. I'm just saying. Jakar. Jakar. G apostrophe K A R. How do you know he's a good one? Because he's got an apostrophe in his name. Uh, in Shazam. No, in Battles of Babylon Five. Okay, say it again. G apostrophe K A R. G apostrophe J A. K A R. Oh, Andreas Casulis, the yeah. one-armed man from the Fugitives. I guess. Sure. Oh yes. Sorry, you think he looks like someone? The in Fisherman Aquaman. King in Aquaman. Okay, hang on a second. This is what they. This is what they listen Live to. Live googling. Live googling. Fisherman King. Aquaman. All and right, also, okay. that's another reason to hate Atlantis. I mean, they're really sniffy about the the people, their their relations, who spend all their time philosophizing and thinking. Thinking is not a bad thing, Atlantis. Don't be a dick. Why did some of them become fishy and some of them? Become Not crabs so and become some of the. Oh my god! Can like, we just address the good crab? The good crab at the end. I don't know the name of that character, but the 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 brine briny Brian boy King. who <laughs> who um who wouldn't give in even when his life was threatened. John Reese Davies. Now, somebody told me he was... I'd like to apologise for this. Somebody told me it was Brian Blessed, and it's not. It's John Reese davies This is an outrageous mistake. I apologise. You've endangered your career, quite frankly. Clearly, and... I have blindness for, you know, bearded English actors, and I, I can own with wonderful voices. I can only apologise for that. Okay. 
uh, apology accepted Thank you. on behalf of all bearded English actors with deep, deep voices. Um, I'm going to say, I've looked at the picture here of Chaiman Hansu yeah. as the Fisherman King in Aquaman, and I don't think he looks like Andreas Katsoulis' Jakar. He does look like Jakar. Made famous, of course, in Billy Ocean's wonderful song, oh, Get gosh. Out of My Dreams and Into Jakar. That is so. Here we have. Okay, so okay, and we're going to hold them up go- for Ben. Let me just Google along at home, people. Google I found along at home. Okay, he looks like he he looks like a Buffy villain, but I can't pick. I can't place which one. I'll tell you who he looks like. Okay, you googled along at home. Just is he Google the master. Google Fisherman King Aquaman. Okay, you've all googled that at home. All right, you've got this picture of Chaiman Hansu as the Fisherman King in Aquaman. I'll tell you who he looks like. You know the 1994 film The Mask? So Jim Carrey at one point loses the mask mask and it goes to the bad guy played by Peter Green wears it and he looks like Peter Green as The Mask. He also doesn't look unlike the master in Buffy but also isn't quite as horrific. I think it's just the sunken eye thing, really, as The Master. But uh, Andreas Katsoulis, what a great actor. Yeah, it's the it's the red eyes of the master as well yeah, that I think yeah. um, gives it that kind of vibe. Okay, so there we go. Chaiman Hansu, Randall Park, both in the MCU and the DCEU with this movie. It feels like a line has been crossed. And Chris Pine. I mean, okay, I don't know if we're counting Spider Verse in the MCU, but I don't think we technically are. Not well, yet. Not yet. But I see. I see what you mean. Close. Not the first time. I think there is another actor who has been in both over the years, but. I don't know. I can't remember who it is. I'll remember. It'll, it'll come to... Who's it? Chris Evans. Chris Evans. Chris Evans. That's who it is. I knew it was someone. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure there is an actor who's been in both. Okay. MCU and DCEU. People are writing in and screaming at me right now. But anyway, that was fun. Live Googling. And I think on that <laughs> bombshell, uh, that is it for our bumper. My God. Bumper Aquaman spoiler special. Our next spoiler special will be up shortly after this one, and it is Bumblebee, uh, which Helen here spoke to the director, Travis Knight, and then we waited on for less time than we did about (laughs) Aquaman. You'll be delighted to know. Uh, The regular podcast is off for the time being, but it is back, 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 back on January 4th. And then, of course, our live show is happening as well, February 6th at King's Place in London. Do come along to that. Uh, Tickets should still be on sale at www.kingsplace.co.uk. Right, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. The land and sea are one. Goodbye. What's that from? It's from Aquaman. It's from what? Aquaman. You wouldn't have heard of What's it. What's that? It's that film. Sounds stupid. <laughs> stupid, Helen. Well, stupid is as stupid does, Chris. It's goodbye from Ben Travis. <laughs> you can see, but I just did a hair flip right now, so uh, that's hey. nice. Got me pretty wet. Oh, Good God. Lord. Get me out of here. Because of the hair. You flicked wetness over me no. with your hair. Because you've just come out of the sea. No. What did you think I meant? Helen, You disgust me. me. You <laughs> disgusting, sick humans. Anyway, and it's goodbye from me. Uh, anyone fancy an Arthur Curry? No? Yeah. No? Arthur Curry. Arthur Curry. Murray. Ruby Tennis Murray. Match. Tennis match. <laughs> Tim Edmund. 40 love. 2 nil. Right, that's it from us. Good Lord. See you next time. Bye.